All right, take your Bibles and the remaining time that we have, turn to the New Testament book of Revelation. We are finishing up the book of Revelation in our daily Bible reading. And I don't know, I suspect that you have looked at that book and you have said, oh my, there's a lot of stuff in there I don't like. I suspect that to be true. And I realize that giving you an overview from the pulpit is not going to quite cut it. I know it's not going to give you what you need as far as understanding each step of the process of God's judgment, because you see more of God's judgment than anything else in the book of Revelation, especially in that compressed section from chapter 4 through 19, where God gives to us a picture of the events that are going to occur in the tribulation time. Now, the one bright spot in all of that is because we know the Lord, we love the Lord, and we know He's just and He's righteous, that we ought to be glad that He's going to be just when it comes to sin. And He's going to be merciful when it comes to our righteousness. But anyway, there are seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. I thought we'd give you a little bit of a positive note here. You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 gives to us the Beatitudes, and in Matthew chapter 5 he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then he gives us the reasons, and all of the reasons are positive. Well, there are seven blessings in the book of Revelation. The first one begins in chapter 1. First one begins in chapter 1, so take your Bible and turn with me to chapter 1, verse 3. This is in the introduction to the book of Revelation. And in chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible tells us that blessed is he, let's read this all together, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. He who reads usually refers to you know, the day and age when you didn't have uh, copies of the Scripture, and so everybody gathered together on Sunday morning, and, and the leader of the church, the elder of the church, or pastor of the church would get up, and he would read the Scripture. So blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, all I want to say to you is when I look at this passage of Scripture, I think that if I were to give you kind of an illustration of how the book of Revelation appears to a lot of people, it's kind of like David's valley of the shadow of death. You know, when shepherds move their flocks over in, 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 in the Middle East, when shepherds move their flocks from the lowlands to the highlands, they have to take them through these ravines, and these ravines are usually small and, and cramped and, and narrow, so narrow that they don't get the morning sun and the evening sun, and oftentimes it's dark during the day. And when they go through these narrow gorges, these narrow ravines, moving their sheep up and down from the lowlands to the highlands, it's a little scary. And so sometimes I think that we look at the book of Revelation and say we're going through the valley of the shadow of death when we're reading this book. There's one judgment right after the other. You have seven seals of judgment. They're followed by 
the, 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 the seventh seal opens up to um, seven trumpets of judgment. And the seventh trumpet opens up to seven bowls of judgment. And then you have all of those detailed sections in between those three series of judgments that describe in greater detail what's going to happen to this world till it climaxes in chapter 18 with the total collapse of the world system. And the collapse is so total that it includes not only the, the government, but it includes the, the, the social structure, it includes the economic structure, and, and all that we can do is we can look at, look at Revelation 18 and, and watch everything go down the drain. And um, we have a pretty detailed description of that, by the way. Those of you who are going to be reading and finishing up the book of Revelation, be sure and pay attention to chapter 18. But the application here is that we need to keep. We need to keep. We need to accept. And if I were to give you what God tells us in the book of Revelation, He says to us, don't get sucked into all of the things that are happening as far as this world system is concerned. Make sure you don't get sucked into it all so that you become a part of everything that's going on. Well, don't forget that back in the time of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 119, the Bible tells us that God said to John, write the things which you've seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place hereafter. The clock started ticking when John presented this book to the church. Thousands of years later now, the clock is still ticking. And we reinterpret what they interpreted back then for a new age, a new generation, with details that give us more specifics as to what's ultimately going to happen. Back then, they saw the Roman Empire as the best example of what was going to happen with the collapse of the world system. Today, we see the Roman Empire, and we see more than that, with the collapse of the world system. But having said that, I'm a premillennialist, and I believe that uh, uh, the rapture occurs in chapter 4, verse 1. If it doesn't, that's okay. If it doesn't, that's okay. We've said last week that God's going to take care of His people, but we have, the, we have the vision in chapter 4, verse 1, after we have the vision of John on the Isle of Patmos. Now John is invited into heaven. And the Bible says in chapter 4, verse 1, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. And I was in the Spirit immediately. And a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And you have this big, you have this big uh, throne scene in heaven, which is just very encouraging. Before we have the opening of the seals, the sounding of the trumpets, and then we have the second beatitude. During the second vision, all the way into chapter 14, verse 13, we have the second beatitude. And the second beatitude reads like this. Now keep in mind, the seals have already occurred. The seven trumpets have already occurred. We're in the seventh trumpet right now. And the mo one of the most serious, serious aspects of all of God's judgment in chapter 14 is that there's going to be a beast that's going to take over. It's going to take reins over everything. And we are, not, I say we, but those who are living on this earth 
are going to get to hear the everlasting gospel preached to them. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. And there's going to be a caution in verse 9. Not to worship the beast. Not to worship his image. Not to receive the mark on your forehead or hand. You've heard that how many times? And so God is going to judge those who get sucked into this world system Ignore the Lord. Don't respond to the good news of the gospel. In the last moments that the gospel will be presented and the invitation will be given. And the Bible says that if you don't trust God, if you don't respond to the Lamb, verse 11, the smoke of their torment will ascend forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. I don't think we preach about hell much, as much as we should. I really don't think we do. I can't imagine the average person looking, or the person who has any sense about him whatsoever, looking at what the Bible says about hell and saying, I don't care. I'm going to hell. I know I'm going to hell. Do you realize how long that is? Do you realize how everlasting that is? Do you realize it's a place of no comfort? It's a place of no rest. It's a place of punishment for sin. And there's no rest day or night to those who worship the beast. That's the prelude to what ultimately will happen. But in verse 12, he says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, right, beatitude number two, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on during the tribulation period. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. Why? Because they will experience rest from their labors and their works will follow them. Now, I'm not even going to pretend to assume you're going to be here or not be here during this period of time. I'm going to try, I'm going to try identify with another group of people, hopefully here in a minute, for you to illustrate it. But listen, this covers all the bases. There are going to be a lot of people who are going to hear the everlasting gospel and they can either respond to it or not. They can either come, about, come out and be separated from what's happening in the world system or they can get sucked into all of this and they can fully participate in the final rebellion against God. Well... This is comfort for everyone in every generation, all the way back to the time of the New Testament, who has had to suffer persecution. Amen? Amen. Beatitude number three is also in the second vision. Remember last week we outlined the book of Revelation, not with my outline, but we outlined it with the outline that John gives to us in four visions. The second vision also includes the third beatitude. So turn with me to chapter 16, verses 12 through 16, which is the context 
It's verse 15 that we're looking at. The Bible says that the behold, Jesus says, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And this is valuable, not only if you're going to be here during this period of time, but leading up to this period of time, God wants us to be wearing our clothes. Keep your garments. Uh, pardon me for this, but we use a called you don't want to be caught with your pants down, right? We use that a lot. It's, it's kosher to do that. It's okay because it illustrates the fact that if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in pretty shameful and embarrassing situations as we get sucked into the things that are happening in this world system in which we live. And you and I all know that. You know what it's like to be caught off guard. But Jesus says, I'm coming back. I'm coming as a thief in the night. You're not going to have an opportunity to straighten yourself up. You won't be able to do it. So make sure that you keep your garments. Now it's all about holiness, isn't it? It's all about being vigilant, isn't it? It's all about watching. And how many times do we see the second coming of Christ described for us in the Bible where God tells us that we are to be watching and waiting? I know when we get older. I know when we get to the place where it looks like we're going to be in heaven pretty soon. But I still believe that we as a church ought to be looking for the second coming of Christ. No matter how healthy or unhealthy we are. Because he could come today. He could come tomorrow. And we need to be ready when he comes. Not ashamed at what we're living like or what we're doing at the time. Well, those are some very practical issues here. And the third thing is a blessing for those who keeps his garments. Those who are vigilant. Those who are righteous in action under stress. Well, the fourth beatitude is in the next vision. The third vision of the book of Revelation begins in chapter 17. In chapter 17. And in chapter 17, it says that when one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. We know that we're coming to a climax in the judgment of God on this world system. And he's going to deal with a dragon. He's going to deal with a beast. He's going to deal with a woman. He's going to deal with a false prophet. All of these are personalities that show up in the book of Revelation. And one thing you ought to do whenever you're reading the book of Revelation, when you come across a person, trace it through the rest of the book. Gather information as you go through the book so that you can finally identify what that person represents. The great harlot riding on the beast represents... This ungodly, worldly system. And you have a description of Mystery Babylon, who John calls it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the fall of that. And we said it would do you well to look at the 
emotional distress and the surprise and the shock that the world receives whenever the kings of the earth realize that everything is coming down being destroyed in one hour. He is so specific, as I'd mentioned a couple of minutes ago, that he, in chapter 18, talks about, verse 11, the merchants of the earth will, what? Weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Total collapse of the economic system. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, etc., 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 those who, verse 17, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by sea, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city that is destroyed? One hour is all it takes for it to be desolate. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think I'll have to stand there and watch it. The beatitude in chapter 3, verses 9, 19, chapter 19, verse 9 says this. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bride of Christ. You know, I, I, love, I love the way everything is related together in these visions. You know, John is on the island of Patmos, and then in the second vision he gets invited into heaven. On the third, he is taken into the wilderness, and he gets to see all of this judgment. And now, uh, later, after, right after this, he's going to be taken to heaven to see the contrast between that. But right here next to the destruction of the world is this wonderful beatitude of those who are called to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He's just discussed the harlot, and now he's discussing the bride. He's just discussed the world system, now he's discussing the church. And now he is saying, blessed is he who is, who is invited, called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And uh, in chapter 19, verses 1 and following, after the destruction of the great harlot who corrupts the earth, the Bible tells us that the Lamb. Verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, write, everybody together, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know. We're going to have the collapse of the world system, but we're going to have a great marriage here. A marriage supper. It is the one thing that uh, really begins to encourage the church probably more than anything else in this book. Because now we move off to the fifth beatitude. And the fifth beatitude is still in vision 3. It's chapter 20 and it's verse 6. Chapter 20, verse 6. 
This is my favorite of all the Beatitudes because I want you to look at the context here. The context is, and I should read verses 20, chapter 20, verses 1 and following, where he says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, who's the devil, bound him for a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nations any longer till a thousand years were finished. Then he will be released for a little while, but a lot of good that's going to do. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, and who had worshipped and who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Resurrection Day has already occurred for the believer in my way of thinking. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. You see, I see the first resurrection before the thousand year reign of Christ, and then I see the resurrection of the unbelievers after a thousand years. They're already in hell, been there for a thousand years, in darkness, in blackness, and what does the Bible say? Then after the resurrection... Because the Bible does teach everybody is going to be resurrected. They get turned into the lake of fire. So they go from a black, dark hell to the lake of fire. Along with a beast, the false prophet, the dragon. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. I want to be a part of the first resurrection. I believe it is referring to a physical, the physical resurrection at the second coming of Christ. We've been raised spiritually with Christ. But here is the first resurrection described for us. But now look at the verse 6, he says. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. The Bible has a lot to say about the thousand-year reign of Christ. Both here in the New Testament we have some indications of it, but lots of material in the Old Testament. The thousand-year reign of Christ. I don't need to tell you how wonderful that's going to be. I don't need to tell you how great that's going to be. But blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. All right, let's go to the next one, the sixth beatitude. It's also in, uh, it's also, it's in the fourth vision. It's in chapter 22, verse 7. Chapter 22, verse 7, the Bible says in 1, verse 9, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I'm going to show you the bride and the lamb's wife. The lamb's wife. And he carried me away into the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Here we have Babylon, the wicked city, representing the world system. And we have Jerusalem representing the great city of God. Now, the Beatitude is in chapter 22, verse 7, and it's really a repeat of one of the earlier Beatitudes. 
because he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. You know, the beast, when he controls the world right before the final judgment, he's going to, he's going to control the world by making everything compulsory. He's either going to do it through his conquest, he's going to do it through propaganda, he's going to do it through lying miracles, and he's going to do it through social and economic pressure. That's what Revelation teaches. But God and Jesus returns and brings with him his saints. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I think I'm going to be that group coming with him. Brings with him his saints. He's going to make it all right, change everything around. He's going to change it totally around. But behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he when the time comes for me to come. It's going to happen just like that. Quickly. You have no time to react. You have no time to change. You have no time to rethink your situation. Behold, I come quickly, everybody together. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Takes us right back to the beginning. We need to embrace God's word. We need to accept God's word. And we need to realize how serious judgment is so that we don't find ourselves in the middle of it. Amen? Amen? And then finally, the seventh one. You probably didn't think I could get this done in an hour, but here it is. Finally, the seventh one, chapter 22, verse 14. Everybody together. Now, notice Jesus says in verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly. When I come, my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. And then verse 14, Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. Uh, we have some beautiful descriptions of how God is bringing heaven down to this earth because God ultimately is going to dwell with man here. It's a fantastic description of God's ultimate plan when He created this world. He created it ultimately for us to live here in a paradise where He will dwell with man. I guess we have a good first inkling of that when he walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They're not going to have that distance. God is coming to this earth to dwell with man. But the Bible says outside of the kingdom of God, outside of the new heaven and the new earth, outside of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, outside are dogs, sorcerers. By the way, sorcerers is a word pharmakia. It begins to show up in the New Testament. Toward the, toward the end of the New Testament, we see the word sorcery showing up. And in sorcery is where we get the word for pharmacy, and it means enchantment with drugs. That's a sermon for another day. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. But blessed are those who have the right to the tree of life. And there's a beautiful description of that right here in chapter 2, verse 2. Someone once said to his mother, he was dying, he said to his mother, does the Bible say there are streets of gold? 
She says, yes. And she said, he says, do you really think there's streets of gold? And she said, if the Bible says there are, then there are. The Bible describes the wonderful town and country of the new heaven and the new earth. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be a blessing for us. Now, let me close with this thought. You know, this book begins in Revelation chapter 1 with these words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That means two things. Number one, it means that this book is Jesus' gift to the church so that we understand the future, so that we're not blindsided by anything. We know ultimately what's going to happen. God will judge the earth. We also know that God is going to protect His children, His people, and He is going to provide for us a new earth, a new world order. This is Jesus' gift to us because it's His revelation of what's going to happen. But there's also something else here to keep in mind. The revelation of Jesus Christ starts with what Jesus tells us about the future, but it ends with Him personally coming. And you have five or six times in the book of Revelation where he says, I'm coming. I'm coming. And that should be an excitement to all of us when we leave here today, regardless of what happens tomorrow or next week. Amen? And the big question is, are you ready? Because when it starts to happen, it's going to happen quickly. It's going to happen swiftly. Are you ready? Have your sins been washed by the blood of Christ? Have your sins been have your sins been uh, obliterated, so to speak, erased off the board? Have they been placed in the depths of the sea, no longer to be remembered? Have they been dealt with, paid for, when Jesus died on the cross? If not, you need to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I trust what you did to pay the penalty for my sins so that I don't have to be judged for them. Come to you. I trust you.